This episode is exclusively sponsored by Manifest Commerce, helping merchants with earth-friendly e-commerce fulfillment. We started to notice some trends where the effectiveness of, you know, kind of a traditional B2B blog, let's say, or traditional B2B content strategy was nowhere near the effectiveness of like a media strategy. If you're looking to up your startup marketing game, you're in the right place. This podcast will help you simplify, prioritize, and see big wins from your marketing efforts. Every week, you'll hear from some of the world's best venture-backed startup founders, marketing leaders, and startup experts about marketing, brand, growth, what's working well, challenges, and how crazy and fun marketing can be when you're at a high-growth startup. See ya inside. Welcome back, everybody, to the show. Happy to have you back. So today I have Patrick Campbell here with me. Patrick is founder and CEO at ProfitWell. Prior to ProfitWell, Patrick was leading strategic initiatives for Boston-based Gemvara. Is it Gemvara or Gemvara? Gemvara, but I wasn't there long, so it's okay. We, we don't have to get the name right. So it's... Okay. <laughs> okay. And this is the cool part. And also was an economist at Google and the U.S. intelligence community. What does an economist do at Google? <laughs> uh, finds money with numbers. So that's, yeah, uses, uh, my background's in econometrics and math. So I had a lot of friends as a kid, clearly. But it was one of those things where you build models to basically hunt down cash, essentially. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, we'll talk about more, um, especially on the U.S. intelligence front. So ProfitWell was founded in 2012, has 83 people, and is based out of Boston, Massachusetts. On the funding side, you will not believe this. I'm actually shocked because I asked Patrick, like, wait, you're funded, right? Because from all of the awesome stuff I'm seeing on the website, the content marketing that you're running just showed me a van, which we'll talk about shortly, (laughs) but I'm shocked, right? Like you're bootstrapped. So how are you able to do all of this? And you must have a very interesting journey that we can explore. So before we do though, ProfitWell helps recurring revenue, SaaS subscription and direct to consumer businesses with their monetization and retention strategies. So basically, you're getting all the metrics that you need to grow your subscription business. Thank you, Patrick. I'm excited to have you here. I'm also really surprised that you're bootstrapped and you're able to handle all of this for the business. Yeah. So in terms of payment, I have gained 100 pounds in building the company. I've lost some of that now, but so that it wasn't completely free. I definitely have had many, many, many. I've probably taken years off my life at this point, but you know, it's, I, I think it is worth it. But the, yeah, I think it really comes down to, and I think this might be a theme for a lot of the stuff we talk about with marketing, which is like it's finding leverage, right? And then understanding that like your V1 and your V10 are going to be very different. Those two concepts really helped because we do a lot of content, as you kind of alluded to, a lot of video content, a lot of shows and podcasts. And basically we we built up to that. We didn't start with that. We started with like a V1 and kind of moved. But yeah, I sure, I'm sure we'll get into this and I don't want to like, you know, just start talking about all kinds of crazy stuff because I want to make sure I talk about what's relevant to your audience. But yeah, it's been a fun journey. I think we will raise money at some point, um, but we just haven't needed the cash Um and that's been, you know, very blessed, but also obviously a lot of hard work went into that. So it's been it's been exciting. So tell me, Patrick, because we're we're trying to get structure into this flow of conversation. So let's start with let's start with the question of what does marketing mean to you? I'm curious. Yeah, I think marketing on a very basic level is making people not only aware of you, but making them trust you. And that's nice and fluffy, especially from someone with like a math background. And I wasn't always this way because I always thought like, well, if the product's good enough, like they'll just use it. Right. But the problem is, is like they have to know about you and it has to be this like nice symbiotic relationship where not only they know about you, they trust you enough to go down a funnel or a flywheel, whatever we're calling it these days to trust you. And then once they trust you and they use the product, then that trust gets reinforced and then they're with you, you know, into hopefully perpetuity. So 
that's really what it means to me. And those two axes of awareness and trust are different. I think some people think they're the same thing. And so what that means is there's different things you do for awareness. There's different things you do for trust. And you, you kind of mix those two together. And I think our marketing, and we'll get into it, I'm sure we've focused for a long time, just way too much on the trust. And now we're getting a lot more into the awareness piece of it, which had some trade-offs over time. Awesome. I like that because you bring that perspective of being the math guy, being the, the economics math. You thought about it differently before, but now you realize that there's two buckets, the awareness bucket and the trust bucket. And it's really just making people aware of you and trust you, which is more fuzzy, but that really is what it is. So all of your efforts need to be centered around that. What would you say, given that you profit well, does so much, we'll talk about exactly what you're working on, but what would you say are the big marketing or content trends that you're seeing today that every startup needs to be on top of, every startup needs to be aware of and leveraging? So I think there's very few things that every startup needs to like focus on. But I think that what every startup or every company I think should be aware of is we are heading into a world where acquiring customers is getting harder and harder. And because of that, you need to be good at whatever marketing channels or process applies to your business. So to give you some numbers here, and for those who don't know us, we have about 20% of the entire subscription market using our free metrics product. So there's a ton of data that we have that we're able to study and aggregate. So that's the source of, of some of the things I'm about to tell you. And we've published stuff on this, but customer acquisition cost is up about 75% over the past seven years, meaning a customer that might've cost you $100 seven years ago is now costing you about $175 today. And then the effectiveness of improving your acquisition is down about 50% over the past seven years. Meaning if you put a dollar into the system or $100 into the system, you used to be able to maybe get $200 back. You're now getting like $150 back. And, and this is just because we've, we've kind of arrived as internet businesses. You know, it used to be you could have some random niche business and no one else existed and you had all this incoming SEO traffic. Well, everyone and their mother has a company now, right? They have a website, they have a server, like the barrier to entry is really low. doesn't mean they have good products, but it's just they can be loud, right? And because of all that density, you have to be good at this stuff. And the things I think, the trends that I see that we've really latched onto and we've kind of alluded to them a couple of times, I think inbound marketing is moving an inbound marketing, for those who don't know, defined as essentially content, bringing people in for that trust and then converting them through them downloading an ebook, then that email going to your sales nurturing, et cetera, very simplified version of what inbound marketing is. I think we're moving towards what I've referred to as inbound media. And about three, three and a half years ago, we started really going after like, okay, let's build our marketing team. Because before that, all we were doing is I was writing blog posts like once or twice a week. Um, and we were in a space where writing content um, was good because you kind of, we talked about pricing, we talked about retention. And these were topics that everyone kind of knew it was important, but they were a little insecure at their knowledge. So we could write something that if you're a PhD in monetization or pricing or a PhD in retention, which I don't think exists, but if you're on that level, you would look at our articles and be like, this is childish. This is dumb. But to every other operator, they were like, oh my gosh, this is the holy grail, right? You know, building that trust. And so we wanted to kind of figure out like, where were we going to go? More demand gen? What was that marketing team going to look like? And we started to notice some trends where the effectiveness of, you know, kind of a traditional B2B blog, let's say, or traditional B2B content strategy was um, nowhere near the effectiveness of like a media strategy. So the average number of max touches you can expect for a B2B marketing, you know, plan or content plan is like right around 1.6 per like qualified lead, right? Media, it's in the sevens, you know, per week, seven touches per week. And so putting kind of skipping to the end, and I'm happy to go deeper on all the data we looked at, we looked at and we said, oh, well, media companies are the best in the world at gaining audience and gaining views, but they're the worst at monetization. <laughs> Turns out software is pretty good at monetization. So why don't we combine these two concepts? And that's what we ended up doing and started going into video and started going into audio and, and started with one show called Pricing Page Teardown, which was just me and one of our revenue leaders sitting in front of pricing pages with data and just being like, they could do this better. They do this really well, you know, that type of a thing. And then blossomed into seven different series with heavy graphics and heavy sets and all this other fun stuff. And 
um, it's really paid off, which is great. And so I think the TLDR for, for other folks listening to this is if your world or your business supports a content strategy, which not every business does, sometimes demand gen's fine and some of these other things, but if brand is important to your business or that trust is really important, there's no better strategy you can do besides starting to build audience, which is a distinction between inbound marketing. You know, I want my audience to grow. I don't want them just to download an ebook so I can hit them up. But there's no better strategy right now than kind of building that core competency of starting a podcast, just starting to put a video summary on each of your, you know, SEO driven blog posts, et cetera, um, and just starting to get your feet wet with that as you build, you know, that trust over time. So that's the big trend I think I can speak to most. And then some of the other bigger trends that are affecting just every business that's out there. Sure. When I think of demand gen, I already think about the fact that content or content strategy, media strategy, that's all part of demand gen. Am I thinking about demand and brand? Am I thinking about demand gen differently from you? Are you, are you thinking about it as performance marketing? These yeah, are all like kind of weird terms. Yeah, the terms are a little all over the place. So I meant what I meant by that statement. And just to be super clear, like I act as our CMO, but I am not a professionally trained CMO, if that makes sense. And so when I refer to that demand gen, normally I'm referring to what you're referring to performance marketing. So there's a lot of businesses that like SEO and ads, like that's all you need, right? Because the sale is relatively quick. You don't need to build a lot of trust. You just need to make sure that people are willing to like throw in their credit card for your new D2C product or something like that. You know, in a lot of D2C businesses, they talk a lot about brand, but oftentimes it's just, well, 70% of all of our expenses are the Facebook tax, right? Facebook and Instagram ads, which is not a bad thing, but those businesses don't necessarily need giant content, you know, kind of wings, unless it's content related to showing off the products and things like that. They don't need like podcasts and shows, but in a B2B environment, I think that timing is such a very important part of sales, right? Especially when I'm trying to sell you something that, you know, might cost hundreds of thousands of dollars per year or even, you know, hundreds of dollars a month. Right. And in that case, I want to make sure that you're like in my sphere of influence for a lack of a better phrase. And then what that means is, is I need to make sure that like you trust me, you get value. And then all of a sudden someone's going to bring something up that we sell something for and you're going to go, Oh yeah, we should talk to those guys. Right. And it might not mean you buy it, but it at least means we have the conversation, which is all I'm looking for um, from a marketing perspective. And then the sales team can kind of take over. So I answered your performance marketing question and then went on a little sidetrack there, but uh, hopefully it made sense. And I appreciate that. I, I, I love it. I think you're bringing more to the table than just my question, my direct questions, and that's great. Let's talk about ProfitWell. You started ProfitWell nine years ago. Now you're kind of in the CMO-ish role. No, you're in the CEO role. Yep. Yeah, but we don't have a marketing leader. If anyone's interested and wants to hang out, we are going to hire for that eventually here. But yeah, I'm in the CEO role, but I've run our marketing since the beginning. And yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Okay, so tell me, since you're very close to this from the early days, what marketing were you doing in the early days that really helped you grow? Yeah, so frankly, it was just content, right? And and we got started. I didn't know. So I was at Google, you know, there was a startup in between there, but I was at Google before this. And you know, Google, it's all ads, right? And what's really funny is like, I wish I had gotten better training when I was at Google because I, I didn't know that other marketing existed. I didn't know what SEO was. And so many of the conversations people were having their Google reps was, yeah, but can you help me on the SEO side? And obviously Google's like, no, like that's very, um, you know, supposed to be neutral on it. But I didn't know like why they were asking this. Why would they care? Like they should just put ads, you know, wherever. And so I think for us, I didn't really know. And when I say us, it was just me in a room for 18 hours a day. And uh, one of our founding advisors, he was at HubSpot. He was leading product at HubSpot and was up until very recently. And they get a free HubSpot account. So he was like, you can use my free HubSpot account. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. So I don't know what HubSpot is, but sure, like, let's figure it out. So that's where our website was hosted. And then this whole blogging thing, right? So we had like 100 subscribers, I think, just from, you know, random people coming in, maybe 30 of them were good. And so I just started writing articles every week, at least once a week, and then sending it to the list, posting on LinkedIn, and then just kind of like letting that flywheel turn, right? And that was really what we did for a good couple of years. You know, some referrals started happening, which was good. 
you know, we started doing more content. Our SEO game was terrible, though. Again, I was like, I know what SEO is, but I'm not really sure, like... <laughs> what to do except write good content. And then we finally hired a good SEO contractor and they're like, yeah, you got to clean up all of this technical stuff because right now you're great content, but your content isn't really getting where you want it to go. And so, yeah, that was kind of the game. And then little hacks here and there. And I, I think that part of me wants to say like, we shouldn't have done some of those hacks, but then part of me also wants to say, it's like, you know, we, we really wouldn't have known if those hacks were good or bad. And some of those hacks did lead to some, some interesting places. None of them are very notable. Yeah. I was just going to say that like, none of them are like, like we would share, um, there was this little like thing that you could exploit where you shared your article with every LinkedIn group you were a part of. And when you did that, it would like show up on everyone's feed. So we would do that and it was good, but eventually LinkedIn closed it. Right. So part of me is like, that was good because obviously got us more traffic, but it was also kind of like, I wish maybe we should have spent some of that energy, like getting two blog posts a week or writing another ebook or these types of things. And so, yeah, that was our strategy for a really long time. And then we, you know, went deeper and deeper into content when we were like, all right, it's time, you know, to, to, to really commit to this. And between then and then those two periods, we just kind of upped our content more and more. We had some contractors help us with some content. We've done we've done some events. Um, now we do a lot of events, or we were before COVID, and now we're going to do more of them even further. But yeah, it's, it's all around, like again, that trust element. And that's what I mentioned, right? All of our content is very like rich and deep, which, you know, it's not like fluffy. And some of that fluffy stuff I used to be like, that's stupid, right? But then you like realize like that fluffy stuff gets clicks. And as long as you're not, you know, doing clickbait, you know, or you're doing uh, dishonest clickbait, I'll say, because you gotta, everyone's got to play the clickbait game a little bit. You start turning into a world where you can like get not only awareness, but then they get there and then they start trusting you, which I think is is the ultimate kind of, you know, peanut butter and jelly, as they say. Yeah, I like how you mentioned letting that flywheel turn where you kind of started this flywheel. Do you mean when you say flywheel, do you mean like you were writing these pillar articles or probably longer form had some meaty content in there? Then you posted some snippets to link linking to the article on LinkedIn. And you also had an email list, and then you would just send out, you know, some snippet, put it in the email, link it to the article. And that's kind of how you started that flywheel. 100%. And we did, we ran that flywheel almost exactly like you said, for years. For years. And that was enough to help you grow at the rate that you wanted to grow for that early stage? Yeah. I mean, so just, just to kind of complete the thought. So this was just like adding more like people to that funnel, right? Cause people would forward the articles and like kind of go on. And then eventually like we combined it with sales, right? So sales would do some outbound, but then nurture these inbounds. So at first we weren't even doing nurturing the inbound. So if they didn't fill out like a demo request or whatever the equivalent was of what we were using back then, uh, we wouldn't have like, we wouldn't talk to you. Like we wouldn't even try to sell you. Right. And so, you know, and then we added some like webinars and stuff. So that was kind of like a mid funnel offer and stuff like that. But yeah, we ran that for years. And to give you some context, like our price point was not small. Like we weren't selling a hundred dollar thing, right? Like, so we used to be called price intelligently as well. So those first couple of years, it was just price intelligently. So it was this pricing software that we still have. It's one of our products now. And so, you know, price points at that point were like, Thirty to fifty thousand dollars, right? It, they started with like three thousand dollars, and then we were like, we're ironically a pricing company with terrible pricing. So that like helped, you know, kind of pay the bills and kind of move stuff forward. But then we had more software products and needed, you know, flywheel other flywheels to kind of turn. But like, honestly, like even right now, like our main pillar is content. So content is basically the central piece, and then now we're just getting better and better distributing it. So good email marketing. Our social is terrible right now. We're going to fix that at some point, but it's not the biggest thing. Sales enablement, events, our demand generator performance marketing is starting to pick up with a lot of the video finally. So yeah, it's just one of those things where we just kind of like have ridden that flywheel as much as humanly possible. We've just made the flywheel bigger and spin faster to continue the metaphor. Great. And so now turning to what's working really well for you right now, I'd love to cover this content strategy a bit deeper. Um, you've got this awesome thought leadership, we know subscriptions, and you kind of like plaster it everywhere. And that I think that's the expertise you want to make sure people understand at a very simple, like high level, right? Of course, you dive into specifics in different content areas. 
So let's go ahead and pick. Like you, you mentioned so much that you guys are doing. Again, you don't have a marketing leader, so that means that you're sort of managing all this, but you're doing email, you're doing social, sales enablement events, performance marketing, books, videos, podcasts, a lot of thought leadership. Like, where do you want to start? What's working really well from a marketing perspective? So our content has always worked really well. And I think that as soon as we added video and audio to a certain extent, it was like a night and day difference in terms of performance. So what I mean by that is like, I would, you know, I do a lot of speaking or did a lot of speaking and like, I'd go to conference and be like, Hey, have you heard of like ProfitWell or Price Intelligently? And like a couple people, like basically the people who are willing to read like a 3000 word article would raise their hands. Right. And then as soon as we started, like we literally started with just any blog post that wasn't like a pure SEO post was basically like, just, um, you know, some sort of, um, you know, kind of pillar article, as you mentioned, we just started adding a video. Like I'd record a video that just summarized the post, right? Maybe a couple slides, nothing too crazy. And then all of a sudden, like within the next couple conferences, all of a sudden it was like, oh, have you heard of ProfitWell, Price Intelligently? All the hands in the audience go up, right? And I think this is a really important point of like why this works. It's not because we're trying to be Mr. Beast or some giant like, you know, YouTube star, right? And I think that's a big misconception when people start a podcast or a marketer, frankly, inside an organization starts a podcast or starts something and they're getting 300 views or 300 listens a week. And the CEO is like, well, that doesn't seem great. You know, this TikToker is getting a million views on every post, right? And it's just completely different, right? Because those 300 people, it's like having a webinar with 300 people every week of your target buyer. That's the way that you have to think about it for like a podcast. Now, yes, our pricing page teardown series, for some reason, when it's in season, gets tens of thousands of views a month. People just love pricing apparently. <laughs> but I think it's one of those things where the video and or the audio works really well because you know, people, that's how they want to consume. And we can be like arrogant and be like, well, I think people should be willing to read the written word. And there's a little bit of resurgence with Substack and things like that. But I think in reality, most people actually want to like consume quicker or have a more captive, like look at things rather than just kind of going through. So video and audio work really, really well for us. We can definitely dissect that more if you'd like. And yeah, that's, that's been, you know, the core of our strategy for the past couple of years now. That's so awesome and that's why I wanted you on the show because I believe in this and I believe it's also personally for me it's easier to record a podcast episode and that's my pillar and then from there I have so much information I could turn it into a blog post I could turn it into social media snippets so having that pillar starting from a place of what do I want to talk about longer form how do I make it easy and then having a way, having a system to chop it up and distribute. I think this just goes so far and not enough companies are doing this. We're pretty bad at that last part right now, the chopped up system. So just to be like, you know, to show you all the terrible things too, like, and the reason I say that is one, we should be better at it. But two, like, it's okay if you're bad at that part, right? Because sometimes this is so overwhelming. Sometimes it's like, oh, what do I do, right? And I, I'm always like, start small. Instead of hiring a content writer, hire a video producer. It's about the same price. It actually could probably get a little bit cheaper for the video producer. And there's a bunch of other details we can get into, like how to start that. But I think the biggest thing is, is like, if you look at this as a daunting thing, you're not going to do it. But like every other aspect of marketing, every other aspect of business, you start small with a V1. And I think your V1 is, like I said, probably just starting a podcast. Um, if you're afraid to be on camera, if you're not afraid to be on camera, like that all of a sudden is a video version and an audio version, you know, depending on the type of content you're producing and just kind of start there and then build up. Now, if you're really good at the chopping up, you're already just really good at that just as a marketer fantastic but don't worry about it too much if you're not like start small and then you'll you'll naturally like that'll become the biggest problem because right now that's our big problem with some of our shows is like oh we're getting a lot of views and it's great but like we could be getting so much more if we just chopped this stuff up and did social better that's right yeah i was going to ask you about the books you've got some sure. books like what was the idea behind that because that it's hard to write a book and how yeah. was that part of your marketing effort? 
Yeah, and what's really interesting, like to be clear, the books aren't like they're not ebooks, but they're not oh my God, you're going to pick this up at the airport books, if that makes sense. So TV context, our pricing book is like 130 plus pages. So again, it's not like, oh, we took a blog post and made a PDF out of it, which is what most people do. It's like a beefy book. And that, the reason we did that is, is, is a couple of fold. One, it acts as a pillar that we can drive people to, to show interest, right? It's the same reason some people do a course and stuff like that. So that's basically what it acts like. And what's kind of cool about it is it allows us to make sure that we have our, our talking points or how we think about this problem that we often get asked about, not only for our team, but also evangelizing it elsewhere. Now, the other cool part, every chapter is a blog post, right? And some of those chapters are really, really good from an SEO perspective as well. So it's all optimized in that sense. And it's also a really good, easy thing to send to people. And so the book's helped a lot because it's, it's a big trust thing. It's a big signaling thing. And, and our, our indication of like, oh, we, we did something right. It wasn't something that we thought we would do, but it's people print them out. People will get them bound. Like people will print them out and bound them and use it for their entire team. Like I, before this recording this, I was just on a call. They were like, yeah, our book for our executive book club was your, your book on pricing last month. Here's all our questions. Want to figure this out in the context of us. And like, when you start looking like an advisor because you're, you know, you got some fluffy content, but that's more like fun content. We're going to do some fun things this fall. Like all of a sudden when the majority is the trust stuff, you're looked at as like, oh, you have this problem. You got to talk to so-and-so, right? That's kind of where the book strategy came in. And, and I think we'll do like a formal book that'll be like, a, you know, some publisher will help us with, obviously, or we'll help them with somebody to look at it. But that's more, again, just for brand. Like, hey, we wrote the book on this and it's not just a self-published thing. Like some, you know, publisher put their stamp on it, that type of thing. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating. Um, I want to ask you about the podcast. Like so many shows, how do you do that with 83 people? Most of them are probably on the tech front, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong. It's about 60-40 at this point. 60-40, okay. Yeah, we have a pretty big sales team now because we it's an inside sales model. So, you know, salespeople, they multiply pretty quickly. Yeah, so how does that work? Do you have, do you have like a sizable marketing team, maybe some salespeople on those shows leading up the efforts? Like how do you create so many shows? And maybe you can talk through some of them. I think you mentioned one or two. Yeah, so here's how we think about shows. We have three verticals we target. B2B SaaS, consumer subscriptions, like Whoop is a customer or like Lyft is a customer. Those are consumer subscription products. And then there's um, subscription e-commerce, right? And so we then have three main categories of content. We have pricing content and that aligns to our pricing software. We have retention content and that aligns to our retention software. And then we have general, which is like, I call it top of the top of the funnel, like an interview with so-and-so, this cool thing, you know, happening in our industry, right? It's kind of that stuff that like pulls people in and it's not quite like, oh, I'm specifically looking for help with this. And so if you put like a grid, those three verticals on top and those three categories on, on the left, we basically want to try to have a show for every single, you know, intersection of those, those things. And so what we started with was, you know, pricing page teardown and then we kind of evolved from there. And so this is how the team kind of got structured. So our marketing team, we have a head of growth. So he handles basically, and he's got, you know, growth manager um, on his team as well. And he kind of handles our rev ops as well, but he handles performance marketing, any experimentation that's happening. So his, his whole thing is like taking all the content or taking like what we sell and like getting people to like convert, right. Or at least convert to a demo. We have a head of Recur Studios, which is what we call our content arm. And he has three people, all video or content producers. It's actually two people now that I think about it. Or no, three. So there's a creative person underneath him that kind of does graphics and visual stuff, for lack of a better phrase. And then he's got two like content producers who are more video-based. One person handles all of our shows. And then the other person handles like some of our podcasts and some of our other like types of content. So that team is four. And then there's a writer, a uh, head of editorial that handles all of our SEO. So that's like more mechanical content, but then helps with all the show content as well. And 
what we've done is, and then we have a events person as well, um, you know, who handles like events and webinars, virtual and offline. But what we've done is basically that recur team, we built up to the ability, because if you think about it, like HubSpot is spending millions of dollars now to have four shows, right? Salesforce is now investing $50 million in, you know, having six shows, right? And I don't know if our quality might not be up to the, you know, they're not going to hire Shonda Rhimes, but whoever they're hiring in order to do this is probably going to be intense. But the thing that we figured out is we spent three years, you know, getting better and better at like, how do we like make sure that we shoot this show in the quickest amount of time with the lowest cost, quote unquote. So we figured out like little things, like we shoot an entire season in a day, right? So that's an entire quarters worth of content, at least shot in a day and post takes a little bit while longer but it's like doing as much prep as possible and then shooting. Cause the shooting, if you just shoot an episode, you know, setup and teardown might be 90 minutes total. Right. So if you all of a sudden multiply that over hundred or 13 episodes, I say you just have hundreds of minutes of, you know, just wasted time. Right. Or not wasted, but like non-optimized time. What does the set look like? Like, what does the setup look like? Maybe I should watch some of these shows, but is it? You totally should. Yeah. One looks very like ESPN. <laughs> so, you know, there's a table with the two hosts. They have three giant screens behind them that like graphics are going on. So it looks, that's kind of an updated pricing page teardown set that we did. Our boxed out set is a little bit like morning television in the sense that like, there's two seats, a little bit lower seats. You know, you're kind of like the two hosts are sitting across. And then there's a lot of heavy graphics with all of these shows. So the thing is, is like pricing page teardown. It used, the set used to just be like a wall and like a TV that we put the graphics on, but it's like people have, you know, not actual ADD, but people have, you know, some sort of ADD mindset where it's like, it's got to be quick. It's got to be moving. So that's how we evolved that show. Where rather than just putting a camera on and watching us for 10 minutes, talk about a pricing page, we added some structure. So it's like beat, 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 beat. So there's, there's always action, you know, and it's, it's graphs and content, but it's like, you know, there's always action in that context. And so you're sounding like a YouTube influencer right now. Well, no, but that's the thing. Like we study and a lot of our content folks, they don't come from like a, a B2B marketing background at all. But what I always tell them, especially when they start is like, yeah, but you watch a lot of content, right? You know, and you also know a lot of content. So if you don't think this is like, you're just looking for formats and you're looking at cool stuff that we can do to kind of like, for lack of a better phrase, spice up, you know, what we're doing. Right. And, you know, just each iteration gets better and better and each iteration gets cheaper and cheaper from, you know, a process improvement perspective. And so, yeah, that's, that's a little bit insight and we should probably talk more about this. It's just people who do this type of work are not our target market. So it's one of those things where it's just not the easiest content for us to, us to produce, if that makes sense does make sense yes last thing to cover i'm curious what are you guys doing with events because it sounds like you have somebody that's covering the webinars virtual and in person how is that going especially with covid what are you guys doing that yeah so before covid i'll talk about before covid because we're going to get back to this at some point um, and I'll talk about a little bit of what's going on post-COVID or in COVID, however we want to define it, depending on your political affiliation, it seems. But anyways, pre-COVID, it's been, the idea was, is like, I think each company needs a local strategy. And what I mean by that is a lot of companies, they kind of take like the ebook concept and they kind of make it into events. You have all these dinners they're like super salesy. They're like a little bit of content. Like sometimes they have an author of a book talk about the book, but it's always like in the context of like the sale essentially for that product. And so I think what we kind of approached was events are great for maintaining, creating relationships because people at the end of the day want to buy from people they like, but it also is really, really important to kind of like get that awareness and that trust um, as much as you can. Right. So we do a lot of events and when we do our events, like at a conference, let's say, that's what I'm referring to, we have like three tiers. Like one is like PC, myself, I'm just speaking at it. There's no like booth or anything like that. And that's good for us, right? Because we have high LTV products. So again, it's awareness. I try to do a really good job. And then we inevitably have people who are like, oh, what is this? Like, let's talk, that type of a thing. The next category up are like very um, personalized, like one-on-one, -on -one, not quite one-on-one, -on -one, but like dinners, right? So we have a whole dinner strategy where the idea is, is like, how can we do a hundred dinners a year and not like 
want to die or hire like too many people to do it. Right. So that's what we always like. That question is a question we're always asking ourselves. Like, how do we get the most leverage? Right. And this comes from being bootstrapped where we're like, we're not going to just throw $10 million at this. How do we think through how to get the best yield to make sure we're not wasting time? Um, and we'll spend money. It's just, we want to make sure that we're spending money in the right way. And we've thought enough through it. And then the third tier is like big events. So this is like stuff we're actually sponsoring and we typically go all out in terms of like our booth, but also just like, like we won't go for the biggest booth because we don't want to just throw money at it. But whenever you go to a conference, what's really fascinating is just how terrible people are at marketing, like in selling. Um, and what I mean by that is like, it's very like reactive. It's very like they're so far in their booth. When people walk past, they're not really saying anything or not consistent, right? And they don't have any mechanisms to get people to the booth except, hey, if you give us your business card, you might win a drone or something like that, right? And so we do a lot of different plays and some of them I, I can say, but we do like, so for example, when we go to an industry conference, so like a SaaS conference, Saster, every single booth it's a potential customer of ours or is a customer of ours, right? So all the vendors are technically a customer. So we'll, last year, or last time it was held and we'll, we'll do it again this time, um, and we've done this at other conferences that meet this criteria, every single vendor gets a gift box the first morning from us. So like, it gets got like, just conference gear, like we know that they're going to be like selling, but all of a sudden it's like, who the hell are these profitable people? Why are they giving us a gift? Cause they always think it's the conference giving them a gift. It's not. So we're like, we look pretty good. Right. And then all of a sudden that creates conversations cause we can sell to those other vendors. We've done like in the past, some like giveaways, but we're real cheeky about it. Right. So what we'll do is like, we'll spread stuff throughout the floor and in order for them to figure out if they've won, they have to come to our booth. Right. So as a marketer, as a growth person, we're always trying to figure out, like, we don't have conversations. I mean, we do about, like, what should the booth look like? What's the theme? All this kind of stuff. But those are always secondary to what are all the plays that we're doing to drive traffic to our booth or to drive traffic to someone having a conversation. And it's just a lot of event people don't think that way because event marketing, unless you're doing, like, Dreamforce or something, you know, your own event, a lot of times it's just like, yeah, we'll sponsor, we'll go. And it's like... No, like think of like how do you get the most yield by like having that thought exercise. And and we don't we don't go down the execution path until we're like, what is the growth plan? Once that's approved, then all the other stuff of like the swag design and all that kind of stuff comes out. But the thing we're doing, which I think um, you and I talked about before recording, I am <laughs> I am gonna be living in a camper van. Uh, so I'm just gonna say it out loud. So I have a van that's wrapped. Um, we're recording this a little bit earlier than this is gonna be released. So it, it sh it'll be out by the time um, this podcast is out. But basically like, again, we were thinking, okay, not a lot of people are doing conferences, but there's plenty of people who are willing to like meet um, either in a, f in a park or something or just like regularly. So we're like, how do we maximize this? And how do we have a little bit of a shtick, you know, in terms of awareness, right? So in Utah, I moved to Utah um, and opened up our office right before COVID. And we have about 20 people here now. But it was one of those things where I was like, okay, well, what can we do? Also, like this area, there's a lot of like camping and camper vans and stuff. I was like, well, what if we buy a camper van and we deck it out? Because I like doing that sort of work and we get it wrapped. And so it's like a thing, right? And so we're launching this, this, this next week and it'll be a part of our conference. Um, there's a couple of conferences happening. It'll be a part of like our booth and stuff like that, which is kind of cool. But then I'm also going to be like hosting dinners, like probably not in the van, but like at a restaurant, but I'll be traveling around and there'll be good, like social content, good, like, you know, where the heck is this guy kind of content. It was actually inspired by, there's a couple of companies who have are very different industries who have done this before, like similar, not quite exactly what we're doing, but similar, they get like an RV or something and get out there. But it's also inspired by, um, I think his name's Mike Posner. Mike Posner did a, a it, it, it's a musical artist. He walked across America and I didn't really know his music. I think I knew one of his hit songs, but then like just the amount of fascination around like people traveling, like the thesis was, you know, like it's a software CEO who's living in a freaking van and like visiting customers and stuff like that. Like there's a shtick there and there's some interesting like vlog type content that's going to come out of that. So let's try it. And it could completely fail. It'll be fun. And technically I own the van personally. So it's like, I'm already doing this anyways. So it's like one of those things where if I can, you know, combine it with, you know, business it, you know, I get more motivated if that makes sense. Can I come with you? <laughs> you can it hang out. Like we fun. will be in the 
We'll be in Chicago area. Oh my gosh, I'm totally yeah, going think, to go meet you. Yeah, yeah that'd be yeah, so yeah. fun. We'll, we'll hang out. Yeah, but I also think what's kind of interesting about it, the other like thesis, and again, all this might turn out to be completely wrong or bad. The other thing that's interesting is like, no one goes to Omaha for events, right? Like, and there's, we have, I think 15 customers in Omaha. And we're like, there's no reason for us to go there for new customers. But if we're in the area, why wouldn't we hang out, right? And there's all these pockets, not just because people are remote now, but even before COVID, there's all these little pockets of like where our customers are, right? Because every like community has a little bit of a tech community. And just think about it, like everyone visits the San Francisco companies. But we did a dinner in like Kansas City because we were there because I spoke at some event. And it was just like, it was a meetup basically that I spoke at. And it was just one of those fascinating things where I was like, oh man, like these people are like just so jazzed that I came and they're like, you visited us. And like, that's not because of me, but just because they don't get any attention, right? From their vendors, unless they're trying to sell something. So there's another thesis there of like visiting as many of the other areas as possible and kind of going from there. Who wouldn't want to meet with you, Patrick? Seriously, just like <laughs> talking on this show, I get the vibe of just, you're a fun person to hang out with. So of course you're going to jump in know. your van. Of course you're yeah, but uh, I definitely always try to be helpful. So that's a little bit different. But yeah, I got you. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Can we just talk really quickly about the personalized dinners? How can we do 100 dinners a year and not want to die? I love that, that you said that. Yeah. Have you figured this out? Do you do 100 dinners? So, do you do 50? Like, what, what are you doing? Well, what was funny is I think we cracked the code right before COVID. So our last dinner was in Austin and it was like, I think February, like late February or like mid February and then March COVID hit. Right. So we haven't done 50. We did about 10 and the 10 were like very, very good. Now what we figured out to like share with everybody else and anyone who's done, cause there's a few companies where they like do like a thousand dinners in a year, obviously not the same people going to all of them, but what we figured out is you want to make sure the dinner has a shtick. And what I mean by that is like, it's not just a dinner where you go hang out, but you want like a little bit of a theme. So we've tried a couple of different themes. I'm not going to tell you the one that won, but there's like a theme of like, everyone's got a favorite book, right? And so like ask them what their favorite book is. And then everyone will have a copy of the book. And then at the end of the dinner, they share it with someone they talked with and everyone leaves with another favorite book, right? And then the design of like the table is literature themed, right? Again, nothing to do with like us, you know, or, or software, but all of a sudden there's like, there's a little bit of a shtick and then you have to find like a somewhat clever way to bring it back. And then there's no like pitching or selling. It's just developing things, talking about things because inevitably people will ask you, yeah, so like we actually were thinking about our pricing. We're actually thinking about retention because they've seen your content. So they're coming to be like, I want to meet you. I want to hang out. But also like I'd love some like one-to-one -one advice or one to like four advice kind of a thing. And then with you and like a salesperson or two who is again, not going to sell hard, but it's going to be kind of like an advisor. All of a sudden you start to get this, like the trust built. And then all the follow-up is where like the sales stuff comes in. Cause then you get on the phone people are back in their office in business, you know, kind of mode. And they're like, Oh yeah, let's talk about it. Let me loop in so-and-so let me loop in, you know, this person, that type of a thing. So this is the thing. And then the secret is, is like finding the strategy to make people show up. So sometimes you have to make a 15-person dinner, an eight-person dinner in particularly flaky cities. So that happens. So making sure you have a restaurant that is like comfortable with that. And then the other thing, which is kind of fascinating is like, and I almost don't want to say this, it's a hack that works so well, is people, they're like in town for three days, but they only host one dinner. And it's like host three. Like you got to be careful not to like host too many on the same night because sometimes that can get a little like, you got to be like, you know, rude to leave. But we do this when we go to conferences, we host a breakfast every morning rather than just one morning. We host one and we fill one up. Then we add the second one. Then we had the third one and no one knows there's multiple breakfasts. You know, that's the thing. Cause they feel special and everything. So yeah, that's the other thing is, is like when you're in an area, try to do as many as you can fill with like qualified leads basically. And then trust is a big thing, right? So our events person has to set this up, but then you have to have an events person who's very comfortable not being there and who can train 
really honestly salespeople you can rely on to care about the details because sometimes salespeople will just be like, yeah, whatever. And they'll just like set this up. You have to have people who care about like setting up the shtick and all that kind of stuff. And so it just comes back to that leverage point that I was talking about. Just like make sure you're thinking through the leverage of the event and making sure like where is the sale going to come in and where is like the value and like fun going to going to stay basically. I think people forget about that. It's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be about connection. It's supposed to be about building trust relationships. That's what it's supposed to be, right? And I love how you bring a freshness to how you approach things. You look at what other people are doing and you're like, yeah, we don't really like that play. We're going to do a different play. We're going to get in our van and we're going to visit these like little, you know, cities where there may be less people, but they're going to love it when we come there and <laughs> we're going to, we're going to do that. Don't so. get me wrong. We'll definitely go to like the big cities, but I think what you have to look at is like, if you're just going to the bigger cities or like the obvious places, everyone's going to the obvious places. So I don't get as much leverage in that relationship because the product person is like, has had three dinners that week, you know, with a bunch of different vendors are all trying to hit him or her up. Right. But in Omaha, no one's coming to visiting them, you know, and there's, you know, 15 customers and probably another 50 that we could sell to like, let's hang out. Like let's show that attention. And then we just get so much, like it's just such a trampoline in response to people, which is, which is crazy. Awesome. Okay. So here's, I hope we can fit in this question in the time we have left. Cause I would love to dig okay. and explore a little bit more about you. Your background is fascinating. You were an economist at the U.S. Department of Defense. What were you doing there? Like, what were you in charge of? Did you love it more than your Google experience? And how did that, like, that experience help you and translate over to future roles that you've had? Yeah, I know this sounds really cool. It's not, but I can't talk too much about it. But like to give you context, I was an Intel analyst, so I wasn't, and I was like a new entry level Intel analyst, so I wasn't in charge of anything really. You know, I had a job obviously, and I was doing a bunch of stuff. But what I did is like a lot of, um, I joke, I had like, you know, Jack Ryan, I had Jack Ryan's desk job. So like none of the cool action, shooting things, flying and crazy things. His desk job is basically what I had. Like I watched that series with John Krasinski on Amazon and I was like, Oh yeah, that was my desk job basically. Like, you know, pretty boring, but really important and like doing some really cool stuff. Um, it was the most fulfilling job I think I'll ever have in my life, which is, which is saying a lot given like running a business is really fulfilling. It's just, it's one of those things where, you know, you get to help directly or indirectly, like save lives, protect, you know, and defend people and these types of things or advance a, a, an actual mission, right? Like a true mission that is going to, you know, arguably in some cases, but most of the time inarguably, like help prevent conflict or help minimize conflict. And, you know, I always tell people like, you know, because everyone talks about defense spending in the US and I'm always like, I would spend so much more money on intelligence because, you know, intelligence is there to prevent, minimize, or stop actual physical conflict happening. And obviously physical conflict is not great. Sometimes necessary, other times not, but not great overall. Yeah, I learned a lot about, like it was some of the best training I ever had because a lot of this leverage stuff, a lot of this first principles thinking, a lot of like thinking through the logic of something, like how do you best get a solution when you have these constraints? literally the job, right? Because it's not like a bad guy or gal is going to be like, I'm over here or I'm a bad guy or gal. Like, you know what I mean? It's like trying to like figure that stuff out and like work on the puzzles. It was, it was great. Did I like it better than Google? The reason I left is you work for the government. So even though like you're doing really fulfilling stuff, it's very bureaucratic. And when you're a punk, ambitious kid, doesn't move fast enough, right? And I also, you can't really talk about your job beyond basically what I just said. And I, my job is such a part of my identity that like, I need to talk about my job. Google was great, but like, I thought it was going to be less bureaucratic because it's, you know, a tech company, but it was 30,000 people when I was there. So that was an idiotic, you know, thing to think. And the thing with Google is like, you're overpaid for what you're doing. Now, like, it's a controversial statement, but like, again, we were like selling ads and optimizing ads. And I'm not saying that that isn't worth it. I'm not saying like the ad community is bad or anything. It's just, they make it so like, it's so good. You're like, I can never leave. Right. And I got to the point where I was like, if I don't leave now after like 18 months, I'm going to stay for seven years. And for some reason that didn't, you always have a little depression when you leave Google because you're like, if I can't be happy in Disney world, like the greatest place on earth, 
am I ever going to be happy? Right. And, and I'm happy, but it was one of those things where you're like, they pay you so well. There's so many great benefits. Like I got sick. I had, I had cancer while I was there. Everything's fine now, but like, I never saw a bill, let alone an invoice. Everything was taken. Like it was amazing. Right. So I, I think I always joke, like it'd be a great job to retire in. Like that's your last job, like just to hang out and stuff. Cause they do treat people so well and everyone there is so smart. It's just, I wanted to like work on something myself. And, and I think that, um, that's kind of what drove me. And I originally thought it was about money. Like I was like, I'm going to go bust my butt and make more money. And it was like, it's not why you should run a business <laughs> because you quickly learn there's easier ways to make money. I would have made more money staying there. Now I'm, you know, going to do okay. I'm not complaining or anything like that, but it's, it's one of those things that's, you know, really powerful. Yeah. Well, thank you for um, explaining and for sharing and not oversharing, right? Sensitive stuff, obviously, <laughs> can't but get in trouble. can't get in yeah. trouble. That's right. Um, so I super appreciate you, Patrick, for being on the show and for sharing your expertise here. You're doing such cool things. That's why I obviously wanted to have you on the Modern Startup Marketing Podcast. It's a no-brainer. If anybody wants to reach out to Patrick on LinkedIn, you can find him there, Patrick Campbell. And to find out more about ProfitWell, go to ProfitWell.com. Uh, I had so much fun, Patrick. Your, your energy is, uh, I have more energy now. It's the end of the day, but I, ha I can just power through anything now. Thank you Let's for go. that. Well, I appreciate your time as well. Let me know if there's anything else I can help with. And if anyone else needs help out there, I'm just Patrick at ProfitWell.com as well. Always, you know, sometimes it takes a little while to get back, but always up for evangelizing and helping folks out because so many people help me out, you know, to, to get to this point. So just want to always pay it forward, backward, every direction. Thank you, Patrick. Thanks for listening to this episode of Modern Startup Marketing. New episodes are dropping weekly, so make sure you're following wherever you get your podcasts. You can find me on LinkedIn, search for Anna Firminov, or go to my website, firminovmarketing.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.